Dr. Samuel Johnson, the lexicographer and wit from the, of the 18th century, probably his most famous saying is, depend upon it, sir, when a man knows he is to be hanged in a fortnight, it concentrates his mind wonderfully. So the Apostle Paul is in prison in Rome. He still holds a faint hope because he believes God can make something good out of just about anything, no matter how bad. So Paul still dreams that he will stand before Emperor Nero and preach the gospel. And Nero will be so impressed that he'll set Paul free and Paul will be able to go to the far edge of the empire off to the east to Spain. And so he will have preached through almost all of the empire by the end of his ministry. But he also knows it's more likely, not that he's going to be hanged in two weeks' time, but that any day they could come and take him to execution. And so the, the letters that Paul writes from the Roman prison are the work of a concentrated mind. Those letters are packed full of stuff Paul believes is important, essential to the lives and futures of congregations that he has visited, and some of them he helped get started, get formed as congregations. Now, Paul usually tells his friends, in fact, I think he always tells his friends that he's praying for them, but it's far more than my thoughts and prayers are with you. Paul's prayers are specific. They're loaded. And here's what Paul tells the folks in and around Philippi that he's praying for them. This is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you to determine, to determine what is best, so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. That's the kind of run-on sentence that I would underline in red in a student's sermon and put in big letters in the margin, break it down. But there is no punctuation in the Greek and I can imagine Paul, with so much to say, with time running out, the words run on ahead of him. Men like Paul in those days dictated their letters. They, they rarely wrote themselves, and I can imagine it was horrible to have to listen to Paul's dictation as his thoughts expanded and his words ran on. So this is the prayer and all that he asks, everything he asks for on their behalf, springs from and builds on love. Overflowing love. Now he's concerned because he knows the day, the great day, is coming soon for him. He writes about his death in his prison letters. And later on in chapter 1, perhaps the most beautiful phrase in Philippians, he says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. So whether or not I am in the body, I shall see you one day. 
But he also knows that the great day is coming for everyone. In fact, he believes it's going to come during the current generation of the church. And so he wants the Philippians to know what they need to do, how they should live, so that when Jesus does return, they can stand up tall and look him full in the face to receive his blessing. And so the harvest of righteousness, the fruits that they're called to bear, come from seeds of love. Paul's own love is overflowing for the believers in and around Philippi, for the believers in Rome, in fact, for the whole imperial guard and everyone else, he says. And he even has some love for the people who preach the gospel for the wrong reasons, to draw attention to themselves. At other times, he condemns these people, but here he says, as long as the gospel is preached, it doesn't matter who preaches it or why. We're catching Paul in a very mellow mood today. But he's clear about what really matters for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the church. Love and knowledge, love and insight, love and being able to determine what is best, not just what is good, what is best. Love and fruitfulness, love and righteousness, love and the glory and praise of God. It all flows from love. Now, in most ministers' offices, you will see at least one full shelf of books about the effective church, the successful church, the missional congregation, the growing church, 12 keys, 10 principles, 7 steps, 3 secrets. And if you sneak in and pick up some of those books, you'll probably find one that is well-thumbed and marked up. Most will show some signs of having been opened, once. Some may still be wrapped in plastic. And most ministers' email inboxes and social media feeds are filled with articles on that recurring theme. What makes a church a really good church? Often the links to those pieces come from helpful members of the congregation. But you know, even the author of the 12 Keys books says a really good congregation is strong in four of them. And on behalf of myself and many of my colleagues, I have to tell you that what you saw in Florida last winter probably won't work here, at least not exactly as it did there, and at least not with some heavy, without some heavy alterations. But what does Paul think makes a church a good church, a true church? If we could convince Paul to be as concerned about numbers and measurements as we are, Paul might say the measure of an effective, successful, missional, growing congregation is the degree to which people can see love overflowing. Now, leaders of most congregations will say when asked that their church is a welcoming church which usually means that a member of the congregation will always get a warm welcome when she comes through the door. And she'll feel at home in her pew, chatting with familiar people who are sitting in their pews. And members of most congregations will say, especially when they've needed and got help from other members or a minister, they'll say their church is a loving church. And that may be true. Most congregations are very good 
at showing love for one another. And Paul believes that looking after one another, loving one another, is essential to being a congregation. He says that many times. The way we treat our brothers and sisters matters a lot. But here, writing to the Philippians, Paul says he prays their love will overflow. He prays they'll go out and plant seeds of love that will grow to a harvest of righteousness, fruitfulness, overflow. So yes, for Paul, the measure of a faithful, a good church, is the degree to which people can see and experience love overflowing. Years ago at an outdoor service before a picnic, I included an exercise in the message for the day. So I had most of the adults in the congregation get up and form a circle facing inward and join hands. And then the youth group and some energetic adults, I told to come up and try to get into that circle. Well, of course, the kids all ran to the circle and pushed really hard, but the people in the circle facing inward instinctively strengthened their grip to protect the circle. And then I asked the people in the circle to turn around. Keep their hands together, but turn around, maintain the circle, but facing outward. And the people outside the circle approached again, and this time it was impossible to protect, to keep the circle together. And then I asked what that felt like. And some of the people who had formed the circle said they couldn't keep the others out when they could see their faces and look them in the eyes. It helped, of course, that many of the kids and adults were giggling as they were doing this. In the second part of the exercise, it also helped that they knew the outsiders who were coming to them. One said, we love them. We can't keep them out. And some said, it would be just as hard to try to keep a stranger out when you could really see one another and when the circle was turned outward to welcome, not inward to protect. Overflowing love. Especially when it causes smiles and giggles. It opens circles, it knocks down walls, and it gives people the courage to look and see one another face to face. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, in the early days of her mission among the poorest of the city, met people who were suspicious of her motives. They said, would she try to convert everyone, make everybody Christian? Or would she even bother to help Hindus and Muslims? She said, my goal is to help a Christian be a better Christian, a Hindu, a better Hindu, a Muslim, a better Muslim. She believed everyone who needs it deserves help, and everyone needs and deserves love. For Mother Teresa and for countless other faithful people who devote their lives to others, it goes beyond religion, and yet they can only do what they do because of their faith,
because of God's love through them in overflow. This love is not like a river that floods and crests and subsides. And I know the word overflow is tough to hear for any of us who have family or friends living in the St. John River Valley right now, and we pray for their safety. But overflow is still a good word. It evokes something real, something tangible, not theoretical. Last week, at least two congregations in East Toronto Presbytery, I hope there were more than Knox and Glenview, received a letter from the session of Mountain View Presbyterian Church in Las Vegas, reaching out to us out of shared experience of violence and tragedy in our communities. Here's what they say. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, as your church family copes with the recent tragedy in Toronto, know that our congregation shares in your pain and sense of loss. We are all too aware of the impact of such an event on a community. We are certain that you have found, as we did in Las Vegas, that in the midst of tragedy arise incredible acts of courage, selflessness, compassion, caring, and love. The power of the Holy Spirit moving the human spirit. We pray for your community, the families of the victims, and the healing of survivors. We pray that such senseless acts and loss of life cannot happen again. And we pray that God mercifully and bountifully blesses you with his grace and peace. Yours in Christ, Jeff Patterson, Clerk of Session. And this short paragraph is key, I think. We are certain that you have found, as we did, that in the midst of tragedy arise incredible acts of courage, selflessness, compassion, caring, and love. The power of the Holy Spirit moving the human spirit to love, to overflow. Love found in hearts otherwise unprepared to help and found to be overflowing. And acknowledged or not, we can only say when love overflows, it is God's spirit at work in human hearts, moving human spirits, giving strength to human hands. Love in flood, in overflow. Glory to God. Amen.